Welcome to the Catholic Sportsman Show. And before we get started with our our guest, Jim Schrader, we're going to begin with a prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we just ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon our conversation today. And we're grateful for the time we get to spend with Jim to talk about our lives and how we can move forward through the things that we encounter with your grace and your power. And we ask Our Lady's intercession also on all the things we talk about in our podcast today. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Sebastian, patron saint of Christian athletes. Pray for us. Blessed Carlo Cutis, the technical patron of our Catholic Sportsman podcast. Pray for us. And Saint John the Baptist. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Jim, it's great to have you. Jim Schrader. Uh, Jim is the vice president of the Department of Psychology and Wellness and training director at the Easter Seals Rehabilitation Center in Evansville, Indiana. And Jim is married. His wife is Amy, and he has eight children. So welcome, Jim. Thank you so much. It's yeah, great to welcome. be here. Thank you. Jim we usually start off our podcast by having, the, the, I guess, telling a little bit about yourself and the intersection of faith and sports in your life. Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, a little bit about myself. Just I um, originally was born in Indianapolis and from Evansville, Indiana, and um, my wife and I are from that area. And we were both really fortunate to grow up with sports as part of our life early on. We, um, My wife played volleyball and and I played um, football, basketball, and golf in high school. And, you know, it was neat to be involved with that. I think there were a lot of positive things. Um, and then I went off to college at Ball State, where I did my undergrad. And, you know, I participated in intramurals there. and was kind of active in different ways. Um, and then went to graduate school at St. Louis University, which was neat for me. It, it, being a Jesuit college and university, I was able to kind of experience that. But, you know, it's interesting as I look back at the original aspects, part of my involvement with sport. And I think that early on, when I described it in high school and like that, it was much more about just activity and competition. I think the really very first point that it became much more about life uh, and faith was when my wife was, um, we had just moved back to St. Louis and I was doing a fellowship and we found out that my wife was pregnant with our twins and our twins are now going to be, they're actually seniors in high school at Modern Day High School in Evansville, Indiana. And at that point, I had realized I kind of had fallen out of shape in some ways. I, you know, my blood pressure was going up and, you know, I could see that the signs were not good, that I wasn't probably in the shape I wanted to be. And there was something very convicting about you're getting ready to have twins. And it's like God's calling you, you know, what does this mean um, for the father that you're going to become? And so the very first uh, really kind of race I ever did. It was a half marathon was two months before our twins were born. This was back in 2006. 
And at the time, you know, I just thought, oh, I needed to get back into shape and I needed to kind of engage in a way physically to take on these demands that were coming. But what I saw looking back was that that was really the seeds of the intersection between life and faith and fitness for me. And that spurred you know, much of what has been an incredible journey in the last, well, almost 18 years and certainly what we'll talk about today. And so um, that that was the entry point because, you know, at that point, there wasn't a competition. It wasn't so much about the uh, aspect of kind of like carved out sports, but it's what are you doing early in the morning to prepare yourself for the life that God is presenting um, to you. And, and that's where things began, I think. Well, then, and you definitely took it to the next level by <laughs> doing a marathon and then shortly after recently doing a triathlon, which is, is incredible um, to do both of those. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you did have a lot of assistance and logistics. So thanks to them too. And, and in the in the course, you wrote an interesting article in the National Catholic Register about you know your life lessons you know through that marathon and triathlon, and um, we thought we'd just go through each of your life lessons. I, I try to boil them down to like a couple you know the salient points at, for each one. And the first one that you were talking about in preparation for these events is you were you know worrying and obsessing about the possible injuries, and they were these fears were kind of affecting your preparation. How would you help people kind of work through that if, if they were kind of encountering the same type of thing in sports or in life? Yeah. You know, over the last 15 years and having done a lot of different events, and like you described the number of triathlons and marathons, I think that the idea of injuries is it's inevitable that things are going to crop up. Right. And, and when we talk about this, we're not just talking about training for any kind of particular event, we're talking about kind of injuries that crop up in our own lives, right? You know, you think about maybe a psychological injury or something that socially I've, I've just felt hasn't gone well. And one of the things I realized throughout my training, and I realized even more recently that was such a life lesson is that you can get really, really focused on obsessing over what if it doesn't work out, right? What if, what if I train for 20 weeks and I don't get to that marathon because I have an injury that develops, right? And you, you worry so much that if it's not going to work out, because I, I often say that we are an outcomes focused world with a process oriented God, right? We want our outcomes. And yet God, when it comes to virtue and all those areas says, it's more important for you to live a certain way than these outcomes you desire. Right. And so as I was going through this and, you know, read most recent event and, and really the last 15 years, what I've started to realize the message here is that you have to recognize some of this you can't control. Now, some of it you can do things to help kind of like, you know, if it's a psychological injury, maybe I can do things, work in different ways to seek out help or, or physically I can take on certain things. But some of it you can't control. And, and some of it is, though, it might just be part of the process. But as I was going through this most recent experience in training for the Ironman, there were no less than you know, three or four injuries that probably could have derailed had they continued to get worse. They could have derailed the whole, you know, event. But you know what I realized is that so many times over the years and having done hundreds of these events at this point in different ways, things often work out better than we think they're going to. Now, they don't always work out that way, but they often work out better. And you know, the mistake that I kept making over the years was that I didn't take the time to reflect back. And this is, I think, a piece of advice for those of listening when things do work out and they work out despite our fears, 
do we actually take the time to reflect on that reality, right? It's so easy to go, oh, well, fine, great. It worked out. Now I'm moving on to the next thing, whatever it is in life. But we really need to take time to kind of consider that very often the fears that we have, most of the fears that we have don't actually come to fruition. And by not doing that, by not reflecting on that, we miss an opportunity for growth, which says, hey, the next time you're worried something bad's going to happen, don't perseverate on the fear rather, and this is, I think, the key message, perseverate on the fact that you have an opportunity at all to be experiencing life in this way, right? So, you know, when I was early in the morning and I'm, you know, I'm running, you know, upwards of, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles or so, that is an amazing opportunity that I have been given, you know, by God. And I should focus much more on the gratitude for that instead of worrying it's not going to work out at the end. I think that's a key message that kept coming back to me that I felt like God was asking me to consider. Well said, include that in your gratitude list when you do your exam and every night, like it worked out. That's right. It worked out. How many, you know, for all of us, every day that we live, how many things have to work out for us to be able to say that at night, period, right? It's quite a few when you get down to that list there. Right. Negative self-talk. We all have that. We all do. We all do. And, and you know what? It's not, it's not so much, I think, having it that's the problem. It's that we live off of it. It's that we perseverate on it. And we start to believe it so much that we think it's a reality. When in fact, if you step back, you realize it's often not a reality, but rather an insecurity there. So, Right. Right. Um, and then you talk at goal setting, and it shouldn't be the ultimate pursuit because if I'm not being prudent, I could, I could hurt myself, right? If I do some crazy goal setting, right? Right. That's right. I think that goals are out there oftentimes to challenge us to increase our capacity, right? And I think about increasing our capacity as, as the child of God. You know, we do need sometimes something out there to say, hey, maybe things have been static for a while, maybe in my relationships, maybe whatever area it is, right? And I need to kind of, I need to push myself a little further. At the same time that we have to recognize that just because a goal is out there, we have to be prudent. Of course, the most important of all virtues. We have to be prudent in what we're doing. And, you know, here's a good example. The, the Ironman that I ended up doing um, in June, I had trained through the marathon, through the Ironman to get up this point. We made it a, a charity event that worked out really well for a local charity. Everything was going well, except the challenge that day was it ended up being there had been no hotter day in 81 years on June 3rd until we hit that day. And I had been training and all much cooler weather. And we hit this like rogue 93 degree day with the Canadian wildfires, the fires making the you know, ozone an issue. And the swim went well, the bike went well, but you know, I could feel things happening. And, and by the time I got to about 14 and a half miles of the marathon, I decided the prudent thing was to do was to make this a collective finish with our team, not the individual finish at that point. And, and although there was a huge part of me that wanted to complete that the way I have trained. I recognized that the real value in that event was not finishing it and being reckless, but rather again, making it a full event that we could all participate in, in a healthy way, in a good way. Um, and that was, that was critical there, you know? And, and so we all, we all go out to want to finish the things in the way we want to do it, but that's not really the most important goal. The question is again, who are you being called to be, when unexpected challenges crop up and they that's what happens sometimes in life. 
adjust to the process at the moment, which is what you did. <laughs> Absolutely. Adjust the process. Even if you're like, why does it have to be 93 degrees? Well, you know what? It is what it is. And so we have to adjust and go forward. Right, right. It's a good example. Well, the, the fourth uh, life lesson you had in your article um, in summary was suffering is a part of life. What's a good way to handle that? Yeah, I think uh, the first way to handle it is to recognize that even though this might be mysterious and we still we grapple with that question is the acceptance that it, I think the first way is to say it, the accepting that is the reality. I, I know that sounds like kind of cliche, but so often we want to remove so much suffering from our life or we want to avoid it. Um, and you know what's interesting? That's a very, very human, very natural response. But I have found through my training that sometimes um, if I accept that suffering is just part of it, again, you have to be prudent to know how much suffering is reasonable or not, right? It actually lessens the suffering. And you know what else it does is that it allows me to connect with so many other people who might be suffering in ways that are way beyond what I'm suffering. Um, one of the really beautiful things about the training that I've been able to do over the years is, you know, when it's dark and it's early morning and it's just you and God, you can constantly find someone to connect with who's going through their own trials and tribulations in a way that puts your challenge in perspective. And, and whether it's been my family members or friends or others that you know we're close to, I think that um, recognizing that one suffering is inevitable and let's just kind of deal with that. You know, as Scott Jerk once said, not all pain is significant, but knowing what pain is is most important. But two, once you kind of accept that, then you become connected with this communion of saints and those in suffering that um, you become much closer to. And so you feel more united in your own suffering and not as isolated when you're able to kind of pull in that lesson together. And um, I think that's been such a great lesson for me over the years and certainly during this training is just to kind of accept that. And the third piece of it you have to understand is that at some point when you're imposing these challenges um, or things are going on, it will shift, right? Time will pass. And it doesn't mean that suffering necessarily goes away, but it also means the suffering you're feeling right now may not remain constant and something new may avail itself in a more positive way. Right. The suffering may not overcome you. You just have ways to dissipate it and, and unite with other people to help you. That's absolutely right. Yep. Oh, yeah. Great. Okay. Number five. Uh, this is a great one. <laughs> Focusing on the past or the future can help us uh, lose focus on our current goals. Uh, it's important to live in the present moment. I love that C.S. Lewis years ago, this was when uh, he was still alive. He had someone write a letter to him and, and said, hey, look, I've read almost everything you've written, right? I understand the theology behind everything. But if you really had to sum up the Christian existence, like what we're going after, um, where would you start? And C.S. Lewis said to this writer, or this um, the person who wrote the letter to him, said, you know what? It's really, really three things. It's do your present duty, bear your present pain, enjoy your present pleasure, and let the emotions and experiences take care of themselves. And one of the reasons why I think that there's such a profound reality in that is that we can't access anything, including God's you know, infinite love for us, if we are not in the present moment. When we are, you know, concerned and caught up in the past, when we're worried about what's coming. You know, again, as Lewis once said, the present moment is the closest to eternity we will ever get on this earth. And when we're in that present moment, you start to feel 
whole different sense of reality, a whole different sense of availability to a oneness with God. I mean, I think that that's, that's the sense here. And it was so interesting through this training, you know, there were, there were times where I had a four or five hour training and it's again by myself. And, you know, you kind of want it to be done because it's a whole lot easier when it's done. But the problem with wanting it to be done continuously is it just makes things even worse and longer. But when you settle into this is where I'm at, I find that time has this amazing ability to take care of itself. And these little experiences, you know, the little turn of the corner to see something new, this little awareness in my mind that suddenly arises up and you realize, hey, you know what? I'm here right now. And if I'm going to be here, then I might as well harness everything that God allows and grants through this experience. And, um, and I think sometimes it does take imposing your own challenges and then settling into it to recognize that the only good thing that happens in life happens right now, but only if you're available to it. And that was such a powerful experience. Yeah. Especially doing training at early in the morning for five hours. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Chase yourself. That's yeah. right. That's right. So the, the last uh, life lesson you had, um, this is also really good too. You are not happy with the current situation and you compare yourself to others. You yeah. are a child of God. Yeah. I mean, how many times in our lives, especially in this day and age, right? Of all the social media and everything out there. How many times do we compare ourselves to what everybody else is doing or everybody else has and how much do we think to ourselves that their life sounds much better like if i could just have a little bit of this or if i could just be like this and all the while you know what it while it's very natural to do that we lose out on the sense that that comparison does not allow us to see our identity right it doesn't allow us to see truly the sense like you know in life we have all sorts of vocations we may be called to lots of other you know, different things but we all have one identity, and that's that core identity as a child of God. And when you center yourself on that and you really, really revel in that reality, it's amazing how you become less afraid of other things that you might have to do or other things that might be mistakes or whatever else because you can live with them. Because you know what? If everyone's disappointed in me, but, but I'm really trying to live out this life as a child of God – then I, I can be okay with what comes and I actually feel greater freedom to act in ways that are consistent with that because I no longer have to have like praise and adulation and a sense of even like, you know, people um, identifying with everybody else to feel that I'm still a purposeful, you know, valued human being. And so um, that one, I think more than anything else, just you have to kind of sometimes be alone and just really deeply experience God's presence in that way for it to come through. And just to summarize, Jim, you said something right at the beginning. It was really profound, um, struck me, was we are people of outcomes, but God is in charge of the process. Can you repeat that again? That yeah, really I said this. In fact, one of my recent books, I kind of talk about this a lot. Um, so we are an outcomes-focused society with a process-oriented God. And if you think about all the Christian message, think about everything, right? It's all about what process are you living? You, you can't guarantee anything in life. Like I, like I could say, well, I want to get to heaven and I, you know, I want to do this and, and do all those things we can aspire towards. But like we can't control the outcomes of anything. But then we think about all of a sudden, how, what's God asking us to do? Well, it's all about process. How do you live? You know, tell me, for example, what's the outcome of love? What's the outcome of fortitude? What's the outcome of temperance? 
there's not an outcome, it's the process of it. And so when you really get deep within our Christian faith, right, our Catholic faith, you start to recognize that everything God puts out there says, what's the process of your life? What are, what are you adopting your days in and days out? And I mean, everything, you know, everything affects everything. And while I would argue that good process often leads to good outcomes, we again can't be focused on the outcome without understanding the process by which God is laying in front of us. And so um, I think that's what happens today in probably all throughout history, but we get so wedded to the outcomes that we can't see that it's really the process that we're being asked to adopt for our lives there. Great. Yeah, thanks. Good summary. Has your work with Easter Seals Rehabilitation Center affected your life? And can our listeners learn life lessons from people with different abilities? Yes. Uh, you know what? It's been a really a blessing to be here. I, I was kind of part of this organization years ago before I joined on, took over the department. And I think one of the things I've just have come to really learn, I think one of the lessons that we can all learn is the joy that people find in their lives in all sorts of different ways that we might never imagine. And I think, you know, when you, you realize that sometimes you get very, very uh, kind of tunnel focused on your life and you think, well, but if I can't get my life to work out this way, you know, if I can't do these particular things a certain way, how am I going to find joy, right? And then here at Easter Sales and other places, you encounter people who, whose lives might, I would argue, all of our lives overlap in many ways, but might look very different. And yet they continue to find joy and happiness and peace and connection. And um, I think one of the things that, you know, again, organization like this just engenders in ourselves is that we really do need to celebrate all the uniqueness that is brought to us through other people, right? I mean, I can just think about how many different times in my life have I been made aware of something by someone who might have, you know, acted or had different abilities or different you know, capabilities in different areas um, that I would not have been aware of had I not had that encounter, you know? And I think that's, you know, Pope Benedict once said that our Christian faith is all about an encounter, um, that really changes the course of our life, right? That alters the course of the way we look at things. And I think, you know, here at Easter Seals and other places, um, you encounter people day in and day out who learn to thrive in ways that might seem different than you. Um, but you, you start to recognize that, again, back to that idea of the process, it's because they're taking on a process of growth and a process of resiliency that we all need to have there. So, um, so it's been a really rich, really great opportunity for me here to be part of that. And Jim, um, in another article you wrote, um, you talked about preventing burnout uh, for people mm -hmm. uh, by sleeping well, eating right. Uh, and you said, though most people think they're eating right and they really aren't, and I'm guilty of that myself. And you also had an a interesting point about prayer movement so can you explain more in detail like how people actually should can do all those correctly by sleeping well and truly eating right and knowing what they're eating and then this this uh, concept of prayer movement yeah so one of the things i think that we really need to do um as a church and as a society is to become much more curious about god's design in this world i, I think that it, it's easy to be 
kind of bogged down by the obligations like, oh, I should eat well, right? Or I should exercise or whatever. You know, we've heard that we've all done that at times. We've all heard people say these, those obligations. But one of the first things that we have to really do to prevent burnout and to feel kind of, I think, um, revitalized on a daily basis is just to become more curious about the way God has ordained the world. So let's use the example of sleep. So you bring up sleep, right? I guarantee you that if I had a hundred people and I said, Hey, let's talk about sleep for a while. Most of them would be put to sleep by that, you know, initial like conversation started like, uh, let me go do something else more fun, right? Let me, <laughs> let me try something else that seems more engaging. But here's the thing. And this, this was a benefit years ago in my first position, I ended up on a integrated sleep team and I got into the research behind how sleep is designed. And again, we would always say that good science just reflects God's design, right? I mean, if it's good science, it's just describing how God designed the world, right? So when I, when I started getting into sleep, I started recognizing like, wow, this is a tremendously interesting area. Take, for example, that for if you live to the average, let's say average age of 80 years of your life, right? Or 80 years, you will have slept on average or should have slept about 25 years of your life. Now, very few mammals, organisms in the world sleep that much. There, there's uniquely God designed human beings to sleep is the you know, number one thing that we do. And through sleep, so many different things happen with restorative qualities, whether it's tissue repair, whether it's memory consolidation, whether it's helping with our attentional capabilities. I mean, when you look at the science behind it, there's very few functions that are not influenced by sleep, right? And interestingly enough, we can go about three times as long without food as we can without sleep, right? So this is all God's design. We're just kind of like, we're being curious, right? So the more curious you get about it, the more you recognize, okay, wait a second, not every night am I going to sleep well, and sometimes I'm going to have insomnia. But if God designed sleep to be so important, then I as a human being, and I talk about this, there's a couple episodes on my podcast, right? That I talk about, like, if I as sleep is that important, and that's God's design, I, as a human being, should do my best to prioritize what are healthy sleep practices. Because in some ways, if we're not at least trying, you know, again, you can't force sleep many times, but if we're not at least laying out our day to preserve this gift, right, then it's almost like we're saying to God, yeah, thanks so much for giving me sleep, which, by the way, helps every human functioning without any effort at all. Literally, it does. Thanks so much for doing that. But you know what? It's kind of boring. And I, I really kind of want to do something more interesting with it. And so I don't think we, we don't intend this. But in some ways, when we don't set up our routines to allow for sleep to occur, then we're kind of pushing back against God and saying, we're not interested in your design. Even though, even though again, this design is remarkable because we don't have a single ounce of effort required to do so much for us. So that's, that's kind of an example there. When we take, like, for example, the idea of nutrition, and I mentioned in that article, which you can find on my website or our NCR, um, I grew up, I grew up what I consider relatively healthy, although being a German Catholic, let's be honest, there's a lot of salads that have nothing to do with salad, you know, potato salad, macaroni salad, you know, whatever else like that. So, um, but what I came to realize is I was kind of like going through my home health changes prior to our twins being for, born was that what I thought was really healthy wasn't in fact nearly as healthy as what, it, you know, I think the reality of God's design when it comes to kind of natural food consumption, when it comes to the fact that, you know, we are 
our bodies are 70 to 75 percent water. And the question is, how much are we re, you know, refueling in that way? And so as I got more really honestly curious about nutrition, and that has been a huge aid in all of the endurance stuff that I've done, all the ultra marathons, and triathlons and things like that. Um, I started realizing, wow, like his design, God's design of nutrition and what it does for our bodies is phenomenal. And I mean, like we could have a whole podcast and I could talk to you about all the ways that nutrition allows you to heal naturally. You know, I've, I've been blessed to not, you know, knock on wood, take a medication except for one antibiotic in the last 12 years. And I attribute a lot of that to nutrition. It's God's design. It's not me doing that. It's just kind of harnessing that. And so when we start to become more curious and we're engaged in God's design, you're like, well, that's great. Let's, let's find out more. And then, you know, as you find out more, you realize that it really assists with things like burnout. Um, and it really helps us there. Um, I think you mentioned there was one other, you said about the prayer with movement. That was, that was one. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. That was really interesting. Actually. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what's interesting is that we often, when I was growing up, you know, you're catechized with prayer and I think largely like explicit prayers. And then as you get older, we talk about like contemplation and meditation where I don't feel like that we heard as much is this idea of what happens when I'm moving. And so all of, I, I would say that all of my training in some level is prayer. It's a lot of, it's a lot of contemplation and meditation, but sometimes explicit prayer. And there is something, and it's very mysterious. I'm not going to give it justice here as we're talking about it, but there's something very mysterious and very life-giving about when you're moving, again, moving physically, how prayer seems to combine with that and create, honestly, a very movement in your soul, in your heart and soul that is hard to find sometimes when I'm just sedentary. Obviously, you can you can find it anywhere, but um, Sister Madonna, who was the kind of famous Iron Nun who I've become friends with years ago and who did Iron Man into her 80s, she described this idea that running would really synergize all aspects of our being in a way that for her was very, very prayerful. And so for me, especially when I'm moving and I'm moving alone and I'm moving with, I, I feel so connected to God. And maybe it's partly because in movement, we're really depending on ourselves, like on God's design, like on my heart and my muscular structure and everything else. There's a lot of dependence on that. Um, and so if it's 10 degrees outside and I'm running, I mean, <laughs> I'm only doing it because God gave me the grace to do it. And that's it. I mean, there's no other way I can do it because I certainly can't create a being that could do that myself. And someone reminded me recently that God walked in the garden of Eden with Adam yeah. and Eve. So like yeah. God even walked. God even walked. Isn't that amazing? And that it really, there's an article I really encourage your listeners to check out on my website. And again, this was on uh, NCR. You can find it there about movement in our universe. And what you find is that, again, God didn't have to design it this way. Everything in our universe is moving at all times. Even this table that I'm knocking here has electron field. The atoms that are making this table up are moving constantly. And there's literally really nothing in our universe. Nothing is not moving. So when you when you step into God's reality and you start seeing that movement in the world is simply ordained or in the cosmos by God's creation, you get a deeper sense that our own movement, right, our own internal and external movement is really, really critical 
to us as beings. And maybe for some people who, again, have different levels of ability or whatever, maybe they can only move your, you know, you're blinking your eyes. Maybe, you know, you're moving a finger or two. It doesn't, it, the movement is what's important. It's not how you're moving as much as the idea that you're moving some ways. You're always moving internally, right? And so I encourage you to check out, out because when you get into the reality of how movement's ordained in our cosmos, and we probably need to be moving with that, you start to look at it differently. And at least for me, it's, it's really been a game changer there. And one just quick footnote, we'll put the link to your website in the show notes so people can access your articles and your podcast. Great. I appreciate that. How does one know if they have healthy attachments to either their own sports activities or just being a sports fan? <laughs> Brandy, yes, I love your question. How do you know? Uh, first question is, I'm not sure you ever fully know. That, that would be my first, our first answer, I would say. But I would, I would say this. I think that if your attachment is healthy to your athletics, your sports, it should create for you, it should be what I call an inlet. This is a term that I kind of developed years ago. An inlet is something like if you think of a quiet inlet in the lake, a place for re reflection, meditation, a place for peace, that it should create an inlet in your life that, that really grows your capacity in positive ways, right? As the role, as the roles in your life, as who you are, the child of God, it should grow and help you expand in a positive way, not detract from it, right? So like, for example, if I have an unhealthy attachment to sport and that becomes so important that it takes away from my growth, you know, as a, as a husband, as a father, you know, as a psychologist, as, you know, whatever I'm called to do, and it doesn't help me to really embody the person that I am supposed to be, but rather takes on a life of its own, especially, you know, you could talk about areas that gets me into gambling or other things, but I'm not even just talking about in, in an overly sinful nature, it just takes me away and doesn't bring me back to the, the being that I am. I think that's where we have to kind of be careful of it. And um, we've all been guilty. I'm, I'm a, I'm a uh, despairing Chicago Bears fan, and it's been a rough road for the last 20 years for me. And uh, I, I remember a time where I was so caught up in the games. This was when our kids were very young that a loss, you know, like especially a, a traumatic one, which is, of course, how the Bears always lose, but um, was like it was really despairing. Like it was really bothersome, you know, like physically and emotionally felt like something bad had happened. And I, and I gradually realized like, that's not a healthy place for me to be like, that's not what sports should be. It should be fun, but it certainly shouldn't like take me into a really bad Monday morning and Tuesday morning, you know what I mean? And so on. And so um, I think that's, that's where we have to consider that sport at the best of elements. And there's been some great quotes by our popes of the years really brings out who we are and refines us according to God's will that the worst is it becomes an obsession and it becomes something that we can't pull away from. And that's certainly a concern there. And have you ever had to work with someone um, who had a trauma from playing sports, either physically, emotionally, or both where, um, you know, I, I struck out with the bases loaded at the bottom of the ninth or, or physically, right. Or something happened to them. Um, how did that healing process work when, with that patient? Yeah. So I have, I don't do a lot of direct sports psychology work. I have a couple of friends here who do more of it, but I certainly have worked with athletes and those who 
experienced like injuries that have altered things. And I'll tell you what, it, it's, it is a, it's a difficult situation, partly because I think that when oftentimes people have experienced this, they've already put so much into it in the first place that, you know, you have to kind of think that the first aspect of kind of working through any situation like that is coming to grips with the loss that you've experienced. You know, you think about like an athlete who's been running all their lives and then, you know, or let's say playing basketball and, and tears an ACL in their senior year in high school. And they have really worked so hard to get to that point. And all of a sudden that outcome that they desire, which we understand um, is not available in the same way. Right. And so, you know, that uh, the first part of that in, in regards to kind of the recovery process or being able to kind of move through is the sense that the loss is real. You know, we might regard it as, Oh, you'll get, you know, get over it. You know, everybody gets injured, but like for that person, I've, realize we have to be there, whoever it is that we're close to as much as possible, because it's a real thing. And it's something that involves an investment that's been there for a long time. I think the other thing that has been helpful when people recover, or I've seen when people have been successful um, in my office and out of my office, is when they take a drive and they've learned that I can no longer like satisfy this drive in this way because of maybe of an injury or something that's gone on but I still have the drive and I can satisfy it in another way. Um, I, uh, I want to give you an analogy. That's an amazing analogy. This is actually the charity that we, um, we did the Ironman for is called play for Kate and play for Kate is a charity that came out of a, a really horrible tragedy uh, eight years ago when a local um, family lost their daughter in an ATV accident. She ended up at a friend's house and didn't even know, she was there riding ATV and it rolled over and, and she died instantly. And, you know, they were initially like any, any parents were just grief stricken and didn't know how are we going to walk away? What are we going to do? Like, you know, and um, Ashley, the mom is a principal here locally, but over time, what they did, and this is so remarkable is one of the reasons why we were so honored to pair up with them for that event is that they recognized the only thing I can do with my sorrow and my loss is I can channel it into something that creates better situations, better opportunities, maybe a lack of, you know, loss for others. And that's really one of the most primary ways I can, I can go about my own kind of healing. And so that's what they did. They created play for Kate, which initially did a lot of work in changing legislation about wearing helmets here in the state of Indiana. Um, but long-term has provided scholarships for many different um, individuals, built softball fields, done so many different things locally. And I think to your, your question, you know, is we have to, we have to take the energy, we have to take the drives that we have. And even when the outcome we wanted to see my daughter, for example, for, for them, for the Bruggenschmitz to graduate high school, I'm no longer, I'm not going to see her graduate high school. But what I am going to do is I'm going to see a lot of other kids graduate high school and I'm going to see them and provide scholarships and provide different ways to make that more viable. And when you do that, you start to realize, you know what, this is what God's asking of me. God's asking for me to flex from where I thought my life was going to where it is going right now. And I can either despair and be caught up and never leave that place of darkness, even though I'm going to return there, or I can find a new pathway that creates light for other people who may not have otherwise had that. And so um, that's been one you know, beautiful example, I think, 
a recovery from obviously the ultimate injury there. Right. That's a beautiful example. It kind of goes back to the suffering in our lives and that we don't have to take all this on by ourselves and we can partner with other people to help us on that journey. That is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. How can our listeners follow you? Well, a few different things. Uh, so my website is james-schrader, it's S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R.com. And a lot of the articles I write for Alatea and National Catholic Register and just other kind of organizations, I try to archive all the articles um, on my website so they're easily available. And um, I've written uh, four books. I've got a couple of new books coming out that we can talk about if interested, but I've written um, actually five books at this point. And those are all available through Amazon and through our website. Um, the newest book that I published was called Confessions of a Carless Commuter, um, What 40,000 Motorless Miles Have Taught Me About Life. Um, I've been commuting to work by bike and running for most days in the past 15 years, and that's been a real blessing there. And, you know, there's a lot of life lessons that come through that um, that don't have anything to do with biking. And so um, the books are available. And then the other thing I, I really kind of felt like I was being asked to do last year was put together a year-long podcast. Um, and so I did 52 episodes for about 15 to 20 minutes a week. And the podcast is entitled Living a Whole Christian Life. And the sense was, how do we take our faith, right, this amazing, amazing faith that we have, and how do we apply it to every single aspect to our lives. And I say apply it. It's really all it's there. How do we recognize it? It's probably the better word. How do we recognize um, our faith in everything I do and how I sleep and how I eat, and how I communicate, how I walk and talk and everything else. Um, and so you can find that podcast link to my website, or you can find it on any major podcast outlet available. And that was certainly a, um, it was a challenging, but neat adventure. I, I, I respect you, Randy and Paul for, your podcast so much and it takes us so much kind of logistics and everything to put that together. And I know that so many people are thankful for your ministry, um, for your podcast. So um, it's wonderful that you've been doing that. Oh yeah. We love it. Definitely a work for the Lord. And we just enjoy you know, talking with people like yourself and learning about your lives. And, and so, yeah, I mean, your, your website is really good. I mean, everything's laid out there. You have all of your article links you have your podcasts and your books and your latest updates. Any any other pro projects that upcoming you want to share with people? Yeah, you know what? Uh, this is the first time I've kind of said this publicly, but it sounds like a good place. We're gonna we have a couple new books that are gonna be coming out. Um, one that we're really excited about probably is gonna be the initial one is what I would consider um, really the cornerstone of God's design in this world, which is how do we what do we do with the free will that we're given. And how do we pursue God's calling and will for us? And so the book title is going to be um, Turning Free Will into Willpower, um, with the subtitle being The Opportunity of a Lifetime. And what we're really excited about with this book is that, you know, over the course of history, there's been a lot of theological discussion about free will. You know, what is it? What's the intention? How do we, you know, what, where should we go with it? There's also been a lot of science about the use of willpower, right? And harnessing that free will, the, sometimes different words are used there. And in the midst of it, there's been countless millions of experiences that people through biographies and through all sorts of other things have kind of described their own course of their, you know, their decisions. And there really hasn't been a whole lot to center, like synthesize the three pieces, theology, 
the science and very personal experiences, experiences of many others that we're going to include in the book, some of our own personal experiences. And so we're looking at the next six months to kind of launch this new book again, um, turning free will into willpower um, is the title. And so, um, so that's something that I'm really excited about. And I think I look forward to connecting with so many others. And one of the other pieces of this book is that we as parents, if you think about this, we are free will agents ordained by God, right? We are, we are the first and foremost agents in this world who are supposed to be teaching our kids, how do you take this incredible gift of free will and how do you turn it not only into willpower, but as we talk about the end of the book, how do you turn it into goodwill? And, and what are the ways that you can use this in such you know, um, a positive direction? So much of the book, although it's for all people, is actually geared to for parents and how we're going to harness and help teach our kids to do this in their lives. And so that's, that's an upcoming project that we're um, really excited about. Awesome. Thanks for uh, giving us a, a preview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For that opportunity. That sounds great. In closing, do you have any words of inspiration for our listeners? Well, you know what? I would just say that anything that I give you has come from a much better source than me. Um, so, you know, I think in reflecting, the biggest word of wisdom um, is one, I think we go back to the idea of C.S. Lewis. You know, no matter where you find yourself, right now, right in this present moment, while it may be even be a despairing place, I think that the reality of our present moment is also the most hopeful place that we will ever be, right? So even if let's say it's been a difficult few decades for you, right? And you're feeling as if getting out of bed is a huge accomplishment. The joy of our life is that at this moment, we can see that there still is hope that things can get better, things can improve, that we can feel God's presence. You know, I think that one of the reasons God ordained the present moment so important is that because you never leave it, right? Can if you imagine if there was a whole different existence where you had to go out there or back there to get things that you needed and desired, that would be really hard for us. But God designed this world that the present moment is always available. So what we do with it, no matter where we've been, is an incredible, incredible opportunity. The other piece of inspiration that I've been given that has really um, changed my life over the years, and it really guys, it goes back to that quote that I described to you about, we live in an outcomes-focused world with a process-oriented God, is many of your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Viktor Frankl and uh, Viktor Frankl's story of you know losing most of his family in the Holocaust and experiencing some of the worst situations that humanity has ever offered. But coming out of that and still being hopeful, still being willing to forgive and living to the age, I think, of 92 and writing what I think for many is probably one of the most important books they've ever read, which is Man's Search for Meaning and the Dealing with Suffering. And there's a quote behind me um, on one of the frames that Frankel once said, which is, the last of the human freedoms is to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances. And I love that the last of the human freedoms to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. You think about that, right? You think about people who like Nelson Mandela, who lived in prison for 27 years and every freedom was taken away from them, but one, which was to choose the perspective and attitude that I'm going to take in that situation. And so when I work with clients here in the office and I work with even young kids, it's really neat to see when they finally are like, oh, you mean, wait a second. You mean even if things aren't going well, 
Like I can still be happier. I can still feel better by the way that I, again, look my perspective and my attitude. Like, wow, that's amazing. I can change. You know, I, I may not be able to change that outcome, but I can sure change the way we call, we talk about this reframing. I can sure change the frame that I'm putting around the picture that I'm seeing. And I think, again, this is God's design. God gave us that opportunity to be able to see something and feel something in a positive way, even if the experience seemed otherwise. And to me, that is an incredibly hopeful thing, right? That I can, right. I can still have the opportunity to frame um, my life and my experiences in a godly way, not a despairing one. So that I think would be two of the areas that most inspire me for sure. Yeah, thank you. That's that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it's been... that. Yeah, and and Jim, yeah, you shared a lot of wisdom in this uh, podcast, and we're just really grateful for your time. So thank you for all that. Um, I'm I'm also a Bears fan, so yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> Use yeah, of you wisdom can... too. Yep, you understand that. Just remember, eighty-five, right? Is that what we tell ourselves? I just keep going back. It's it's always eighty-five in our minds, right? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. All right, All right. Well, yeah, we covered a lot, and um, so we'll just close it out with prayer. And Randy, would you like to lead us in that prayer? Sure, I would love to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time together with Jim, and we pray for him his family, his ministry, his work, and his free time, and his, his commitment to his, his family and wife and his commitment to you. We ask that our listeners listening in, in podcast land find something in this podcast that would draw them cl closer to you. We ask the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jim Schrader. And... Uh, Good luck with all of your upcoming projects. Thanks so much. I really, really appreciate the invite. It's been a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you, Jim, very God much. Bless. God bless. God bless.